Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sign up with my bookie and use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Join me for this episode, as he does every Monday night, co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readingreaction.com. Will, I've uh, gotten this joke a lot when you say Gators Breakdown, yeah, and then a lot of people you say, yeah, Gators Broken Down. So that's, uh, that's uh, you know, the, the message of uh, a lot of people out there, natives are restless, fan base frustrated right now after Florida gets beat by LSU once again, much of the storylines from last year's game, or much like the storylines from this year's game, and the storyline after the game is much the same as well as Florida goes down to LSU. Um, frustrated, Will, um, probably the, I, I guess probably the best term uh, for, for, for the fan base right now. And it did, a, you know, our game review yesterday took more, take, took more of a look at the game, but here today, uh, look, we're at the halfway point of the season. So look, this, this week, whether it had been good or bad, we were probably going to you know, maybe take a look back at the season, how it's played out. Now we take a look at it from a different angle uh, here with what's going on around Florida right now, three losses on the season. Well, man, it's just uh, not, not a good feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly frustrating. I, I understand everyone's frustration. I, I do think there's some positives that we'll be able to take from this looking back. The question is, is enough of the fan base on board to where you can – 
build on those positives and, and get sort of those positive vibes back. And, that, and that's one of the things I think Mullen's going to have to do some repair work when it comes to that. I mean, we talked either last week or two weeks ago about Dave Wonderlich's article where he's talking about the margin for error that Dan Mullen has and that he does, not only has a limited margin for error on the field, but he's also got a limited margin for error with the fan base and with uh, the people who support him because of some of the things that have, you know, Matt Hayes wrote about it today talking about, you know, the probation and talking about some of the, some of the press conferences people don't like and those sorts of things. I will say the thing that I took out of the game is that very clearly you can run a counter against cover one. So next time you have a question about single high defense, ask him why he doesn't run a counter. I think that'd be the appropriate question to ask. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, (laughs) Not be, (laughs) not being able to stop one play and, uh, how that's uh, just kind of high makes, safety every time they ran it. Yeah, and just uh, how that's extending a thought uh, there about one defensive coordinator that, uh, look, we were, a lot of people weren't already happy with him, but uh, even more so now, um, you know, we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll see what it all means. Um, I think if anything was going to be done midseason, that's probably what a lot of the fan base wanted to see, needed to see. It would would have happened Sunday or Monday of the bye week. We're here now. Just keep going. That's <laughs> just what, what, what we'll have to do coming here uh, with, with the bye week. Um, get preparing for Georgia uh, next, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, of course. So, all right, Will, let's uh, – you mentioned just a little bit uh, about Saturday game versus LSU. Uh, you mentioned there was some good – look, we'll get into plenty of the bad here. Let's, let's do take a quick look at Anthony Richardson coming in, puts Florida back in the game, four straight touchdown drives. Uh, a lot of what we thought he would be able to do, we saw on this play from the quarterback. Man, it looked so good there for four drives. <laughs> it was uh, that was that was some of the offense we expected to see when you have a true dual threat quarterback, one that can uh, look. I'm not going to sit here and say run the offense or run, I mean run the full offense, but can certainly run a portion of the offense that is effective. Yeah, I mean, I don't care if he could run the entire offense. Right. What I saw looked hey. really impressive. <laughs> exactly. It looked like they. Had- some things at least some of the misdirection plays i know you and i were sort of texting back and forth talking about well that doesn't seem like something you'd run with your backup quarterback if you're not going to run it with your starting quarterback so i think that was a little bit interesting here's the deal i mean there have been questions i think legitimate questions to some effect i think i haven't agreed with it but there have been legitimate questions about once you get anthony richardson out against sec competition is he going to be able to perform the same way he did against FAU? Is he going to be able to come com- perform the way he did against USF? And I think he really acquitted himself well, right? I mean, you talk about those four drives and yes, you have to factor in the two interceptions, but um, you know, young quarterbacks are going to throw interceptions. They're going to make bad throws. The guy was actually open on the last play. He just couldn't get it out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he has the, um, he has the moxie to make that throw which I think, you know, the throw to Copeland could have ended up like that. The one in the back of the end zone could have wound up like that too, but he's got the, he's got the confidence to let that go. And I think that's one of the things I was looking at his, at his chart the other day in terms of deep passes, he he had like seven deep passes against LSU. And remember after the Kentucky game, we were looking, it was nine all year, 20 plus yards for Emory Jones. So he's taking those shots. He's taking those downfield. The offense feels different. Um, you know, there were two explosive plays, well, three um, attributable to Emory Jones, but one of them was the pass back from Trent Whittemore and then five 
once uh, Anthony Richardson got in, and that's kind of been the MO all year long. You know, he's responsible for 30% of their total explosive plays, but he's only responsible for 13% of their touches. So he's got uh, 13 explosive plays on 65 total pass attempts and rush attempts, which is one every five plays, which means that really Florida only needs to get one first down. And then you're going to see an explosive play if Anthony Richardson's out there. And the last couple of games, he hasn't really been able to get a first down um, because, you know, they had they had one first down called back. They had a couple other things that happened. He's thrown a couple of interceptions and they just haven't sort of gotten the drive going. Um, and you do wonder. It's interesting. LSU got that one penalty, the taunting penalty after the incomplete pass to shorter. Actually, a pretty nice pass, I thought. Um and then all of a sudden it was off to the races, explosive play after explosive play after explosive play. So, I mean, I come out of this game with a lot of hope that Anthony Richardson is the answer and probably more hope than I had after seeing him against Kentucky and seeing him against, uh, uh, against Vanderbilt. You know, it wasn't that I had lost complete confidence in him, but you know, you look at it and go, geez, if, if Mullen's not using him and he's only getting five or six touches or seven touches a game, is there something that's limiting him in terms of his ability to grasp the offense, in terms of his ability to go out and execute? Is it that they just have a package for him every week and that he can't execute beyond that? But the fact that he took the entire second half against LSU and really, quite honestly, was the best player on the field for the entire second half, not just not just for for Florida. I think you I guess maybe, you know, maybe uh Price you would argue you might argue. Yeah, I know yeah, Jalari, yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he was the first or second best player out on the field the entire so, time he was this out way, there. on the Florida side, he was the best player. <laughs> and it wasn't even close. Right. And and so that's the thing as I look at it and I go, we've been saying for a really long time that Mullen has to hit on one of these guys to offset some of the recruiting deficits that he has. And what I saw against LSU is I saw somebody that looks like a hit. And so, yeah, you lost the game. Yeah, you're four and three. Yeah, there's all these things we can talk through in terms of things that need to improve, changes that need to be made, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you hit on the quarterback, your your floor is like 11 and two if he plays like that and and so you know you think about the clemsons of the world and and how they sort of built their program with taj boyd and and then with uh deshaun watson and then with trevor lawrence um you know now granted clemson is an outlier we always talk about clemson being an outlier i think florida is going to have to be an outlier at this point but the way you become an outlier is you find an anthony richardson or at least you find somebody who can play like he has um in the three times he's gotten significant meaningful playing time um and so you know the hope is and that's really what recruiting is right recruiting is hope the hope is that what he's shown um, against LSU, against FAU, and against USF is something that can translate to a full season and if so then florida probably has something pretty special yeah, well, uh, one more thing. Uh, I'm going to ask you. I talked about it, and, and, and I and I diagnosed it a good bit, especially numbers wise uh, for for Florida. Preview an LSU game, and now coming out of the LSU game, run game man disappeared uh, pretty much. Offensive line, um, you know, we, we determined was a strength of first few games of the season. Uh, now teams have been able to get some film on Florida, knows what Florida does well. Uh, and, you know, it was a chain reaction. Like I, I think we all knew if Emory Jones was going to be at his best, it was going to be because of a Florida run game that helped him along the way with that offensive line, with those running backs. Um, and we've seen them, you know, take, now take a step back uh, th- three weeks in a row with Kentucky, Vanderbilt, uh, and now uh, LSU. Uh, not necessarily uh, there where we saw it earlier in the season. Uh, now, I think you – 
we asked ourselves how would, how would a running back rotation work? How would Dan Mullen use a running back rotation? I do think if you stick with one running back, mainly Damian Pierce right now, it probably looks a little more consistent and looks better on a consistent level. But still, it's not the same. The push up front's not not as much, not 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 there as much. And you know, teams just really been able to key on it and slow that run game down. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is due to injuries in the offensive line. Yeah, that's that one thing. Up. That's one thing that's going to the bye week is going to help with. Guys have been nicked up, and even if they're out there, you play a full SEC season. At some point, guys are going to get nicked up, and just about everybody on the offensive line has gone down and had to come out at some point in the in the last three or four weeks. The other thing is, is the quarterback run game went away yeah. against Kentucky and it went away against LSU. And that really is the difference. You look at Emory Jones, 10 rushes for 16 yards, 1.6 yards per rush. Every time they rushed him, you know, against Alabama, he was able to get four or five yards. LSU pretty much knew single high safety the entire time, bringing the other safety down into the box. And they said, we're going to dare you to throw it. And Florida wasn't really prepared to do that. Um, or at least wasn't wasn't able to do that. In fact, I think that's why you were able to see Florida move the ball once Anthony Richardson came in and started chucking the ball around a little bit. If you think about Richardson's first couple drives, he obviously throws the first interception on basically the first the first play he has when he's in there. And then from then on, the first half drives that Richardson had were read option type things where it was a running play the entire time. They didn't try to stretch the defense. They didn't try to go deep. The minute he came in and they said, all right, we're going to give you an opportunity, all of a sudden they're taking you know double moves to Copeland, deep shots to shorter, um, you know, some of the inventive stuff where they Copeland blocking and then coming off on a slant. Man, um, I love that. That was, that, that was an awesome point. Design there. Stole that, that from Alabama. We got, we got, <laughs> that was a Najee Harris play against Diabate last year where they did the same thing with Najee Harris. Um, so I think what happened is, is that the, the, LSU defense had to start respecting the deep pass. And then when that happened, that opened up the running game a little bit, or at least enough to be able to set some stuff up. And, you know, you had Richardson pop a 25 yard run. He had seven rushes for 37 yards. So he averaged 5.3 yards per rush, but he averaged almost nine yards of throw. And some of that, you know, kind of desperation in a few times where that, where, you know, in that last drive, they were going deep. So, um, you know, look, I'm I'm very impressed with what Richardson did. I think the you can't say he can't do it against against SEC competition. You can't say that he can't run at least something that looks like the full Florida offense. Um, if you went out and ran that exact same game plan against Georgia, I think you're still going to see some success. I think you're going to see more success than if you have Emory Jones and they're trying to run the ball because you are not going to run the ball against this Georgia defense if you're not willing to stretch them both vertically and horizontally. And, you know, there are probably going to be some mistakes made and those sorts of things, but I think it's become pretty clear that, uh, you know, the quarterback run game is so critical to what Emory Jones does. So you think about the Tennessee game, his best game of the year, 15 rushes for 144 yards, 9.6 per rush. Against Vanderbilt, 5 for 48 yards per rush. Against FAU and USF, 7.4 and 6.2 yards per rush. He's basically been – and against Alabama, 19 rushes for 76 yards, only four yards a rush, but still 76 yards. That has decreased. So 74, 81, 76, 144, and then 63 against Kentucky on 13 rushes, mm-hmm. and then 40 against Vanderbilt, but there you weren't really rushing him that much, and then 16 yeah. against LSU. People have figured out that if you squeeze the running backs, you can catch Emory Jones and – and there are ways to stop that. Kentucky really kind of gave a blueprint, and I think LSU sort of followed up on that. And once that was the case, then, uh, you know, they were basically left throwing Hail Marys there at the end of the half, and that was kind of the entire offense there in that first half. 
Yeah, well, and, you, and I brought it up because LSU had struggled, especially the week before stopping Kentucky, and they knew Kentucky was going to run the ball, just like they knew Florida was going to try, right? <laughs> yeah, or you know, Florida should have been trying to run the ball. But you know, I, I do think you know you and I had mentioned it too. You know, the play calling balance there early. Uh, I think they probably abandoned the run a little bit too early, but you know, I, I, it wasn't working as as well as it had been. Uh, there, and I guess you could see maybe why you you start throwing a bit more, but it was still a defense that had given up a ton of yards the week before, uh, and still tried to stop Kentucky running the ball, and Kentucky was still able to do it. You know, and that's the difference I see in this Florida run game. You know, even when they look like they want to run the ball, it's, it doesn't look like it did earlier this year. So hopefully, as you said, bye week coming up, you get some of those you know banged up injured players uh, back a little healthier, mend um, some of those uh, bruises and bu- bumps and bruises coming up. Uh, and you can, you know, take something in that. Hopefully, with Anthony Richardson there behind center uh, for, for the skater team with Georgia game coming up. So, yeah, I mean, I think the interceptions played a big role. We've seen that before with Emory Jones. I mean, they have the first drive, you know, six plays, fifty-nine yards for a touchdown, missed the extra point, but now Florida's up six nothing. They then do have a a, a three and out or a couple of punts in a row. They have the interceptions back to back. And all of a sudden you're at the end of the half and you really just really haven't done anything. And one criticism I do think that's, that's valid is the switching of the quarterbacks doesn't seem to really help either one of them that you give, you give them some sort of, and you know, that's a feel thing. Cause I think there are times where quarterbacks are able to deal with that. I think there are times where quarterbacks aren't pretty clearly Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. I don't think Excel. I think you got to give Richardson like a full, real set of plays and if that means you yeah. play if you, if you want to play both of them play one in the first quarter one in the second or something like that but the the switching in and out causes problems you have the back-to-back interceptions and all of a sudden you're sitting there you're down 21 to 6 and you know you're starting to freak out you get the touchdown at the end of the half but that was just a gift that's not something florida really should have had you yeah. get pick six coming out i mean here's the deal emory jones in that first drive looked great he looked great, really, until they, he threw the interception on the ball on the ball behind Whittemore, and then everything sort of fell apart. And that has been something that we've seen throughout the year is that, you know, against I think USF is the one that I think is probably the most um, the most apparent one is that you know things sort of snowballed from the interceptions that he threw. I mean, Florida was up what like thirty five to three in that game. And then on the, in the second half, I think they actually lost 17 to seven in the second half with a bunch of interceptions thrown in there. And part of that was just sort of things bogged down once the first bad throw was made and couldn't really get it back on track. And, you know, say what you will about Richardson, but he, he made an awful throw the, the first throw he came in, but he was out there firing the minute they gave him another opportunity. And I think that confidence goes a long way towards, um, at least believing that there's that there's the the potential in there to really do something spe- do something special. All right, so there's a look back a little bit at uh, disappointing loss to LSU, kind of setting the stage for the theme of the episode. Will you and I preseason um, had done an episode about how expectations can still be high during a rebuild, and whether you wanted to label this a rebuild or not, I know some people didn't really want to label the. Uh, it a rebuild, and I, and, and I get that uh, angle just a bit. But what was what Florida lost on offense? Uh, a, a rebuild in some sense. So, you know, and what does that mean right now for Florida? You know, I said, you know, for for a rebuild, <laughs> there's bigger issues out there than this quote unquote offensive rebuild of why Florida's losing games right now. Uh, and you know, we'll get into we'll, we'll get into that there, and that's kind of what this team of the the theme of this episode uh, is about that. Of course, we know there are deeper issues. It's not just about losing Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, and, and Kadarius Tony while Florida sits at three losses right now. It, it is much bigger than that. 
uh, and we'll get into it. But before we do, when it comes to gambling, you can always want to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. And that's why I always bet with my bookie. At my bookie, you can bet on all your favorite sports with exclusive promotions, contests, and more to find your winning bet. Right now, when you make your first deposit with my bookie, you'll instantly receive double your first deposit. It's easy. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, use my promo code Gators, and my bookie will double your first deposit instantly up to $1,000. Fast money. Use your extra funds to bet on this week's biggest games. Coming up this week, the battle between the Chiefs and the Titans, where a high-flying attack meets smash-mouth football. This promotion is only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Head to mybookie.ag, use promo code GATERS, secure your double deposit bonus today. That's promo code GATERS, so you can double your, double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. I will. So, uh, look, I think uh, <laughs> you and I, but we look, we've uh, been talking with our good friend Dill Sykes today uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a text message there. Uh, so, you know, uh, we've had some somebody go, somebody go check on Bill. He's, ha- somebody- he's having a rough time with this whole situation. <laughs> uh, Bill's doing good, by the way. People will ask. Bill's, Bill's fine. Um, well, for the most part, you know, talk, talking gators, right? Bill personally is fine. Talking gators. Uh, you know, some uh, a lot uh, from from Bill. A lot of I told you so. So <laughs> that's what there's the uh, that's probably where we'll leave it there. But okay, look, you know, we've had the discussion uh, a bit. I'll preface it. You will. You can do it however you want to. I'll preface it. It probably should be said at the beginning. I don't want Dan Mullen fired. I don't think Dan Mullen should be fired. Before we move on any further, I'll get that out of there. Now, there's going to be a lot of deserved critiques coming up right here, and in, in, in the in the next few minutes of this episode things that needs to change, things that he needs to change. I still think the immediate future is better with Mullen. Hopefully it extends past that. But, where the, Will, there's the reservation. As you mentioned earlier, hope is a dangerous word, and I, and I hate that I'm using it like that. So um, it, 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 it does sting a bit. We're in year four, four, and three, and I'm using the word hope. I, I didn't see that coming with Dan Mullen. But here we are. Here we are. Halfway point of the season, four and three. Wins over FAU, USF, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Losses to Alabama, Kentucky, LSU. Georgia looming. Will coming up. I mean, sets the stage, right? Right there, Will. Yeah, I mean, so I'm conflicted on this. Not not with Mullen staying here because two things. One is I don't think he should be fired, and two is I don't think he will be. And so it's a moot point. It's not even really worth bringing up. There, there's and, significant. And that's support. probably where I lean in a lot of my thinking there. Well, so there's significant support within the people who matter when it comes to making sure that Mullen gets a full crack at this and, and Strickland as well. And I think Strickland and Mullen are sort of inexorably tied to the hip in, in some ways as well. And and so if people support Strickland, then, then Mullen's going to get his full support as well. The other thing is I do think we need to take a look back. We want to be as optimistic as we can coming into each of these seasons. Um, but the reality is, is just about every coach has a third-year dip. And Mullen didn't really have a third-year dip last year, and one of the reasons is because of the guys you decided who left in Trask, Tony, and Pitts. And that season was a really, really good season. Obviously, the defense struggled, but that was a really good season, at least from an excitement standpoint. It didn't end the way you wanted, but at the end of the day, Florida was a nationally competitive program in year three, which is not usually what you see. Usually you see a big jump in year two, then a step back in year three, and then building in year four. 
one of the ways that they sort of opened up that window for year three was through transfers. Guys like Trevon Grimes, guys like Van Jefferson, guys like John Grenard, um, you know, gave time for guys like um, guys like Trask and Pitts and Tony to sort of take that mantle in year three. And that delay, I think we're starting to see some of that now, right? We're starting to see that some of those guys who didn't come out on the field last year who would have been part of a dip in year three were able to sort, you know, and we're sort of hedging it now. You know, I, I think last year towards the end, we saw that depth was a real issue, especially against Oklahoma. And and in some other cases, right, where you couldn't replace a guy on defense who was struggling because you didn't have the youth. Obviously, COVID didn't help. But I think a lot of that is the prolonging and the trying to go for the championship in year three. And now you're sitting in year four and you're trying to get those guys experience at the same time as you're sort of in this rebuilding mode and we've talked about that quite a bit. So I understand it. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a real good argument, but I, I understand where the, the program is and sort of how it was trying to thread this needle and it didn't thread the needle correctly last year. And now it's not threading the needle this year. I mean, when you look at the 18 and 19 defensive classes that Florida brought in, I mean, Chris Steele is gone. Malik Langham's gone. Jaden Hill's injured. John Huggins gone. Chester Kimbrough playing corner for Michigan State really well. Randy Russell was out for a medical reason. Josiah Pierre, Jonathan Grenard, all gone. David Reese has been injured, hasn't really contributed very much. Jalen Humphreys hasn't contributed very much. Lloyd Summerall, really sporadic, not really what I call a contributor. Andrew Chatfield gone. Trey Ray Dean hasn't really contributed until this year at safety, and he really struggled against LSU. Amari Throw Bernie, in the I, towel. <laughs> Throw in the towel. You keep going. <laughs> uh, so Amari Bernie, I would say that, uh, you know, a contributor, but not a starter. Diabate, yep. I think, has been really good, a starter. Tyron Hopper, a contributor this year, but not really a starter. Chris Bogle, a contributor, but not really a starter. Elam, an elite starter. And then I think I already mentioned Chris Steele is somebody who left. So you got two starters out of the 18 and 19 classes on the defensive side. And what that <laughs> means is look at the guys from the 20 class who are in there. Gervon Dexter playing major snaps on the inside. You've got guys like Antoine Powell who are coming in, Prince Human Milan who are doing stuff on the outside. But then you've got Rashard Torrance, Avery Helm, Mordecai. Avery Helm, Mordecai McDaniel, and Trevez Johnson, all from that 2020 class. So your set of safeties is all inexperienced, all from that, all from that class, and all missed sort of the COVID practices from the year before. Again, not an excuse, but it is the reality when you look at going forward in 2020 meant you didn't get those guys on the field a significant amount of time last year. And now you're trying to play with essentially true sophomores out there for a big bulk of your defense. It's one of the reasons why they had to bring in the transfers at defensive tackle to fill that void, because otherwise it would have been the guys that are in that 2020 class who would have had to fill the void. And I don't know that they're all that confident with that. So the attrition on the defensive side of the ball, not just the fact that the recruiting classes have been in the 9, 10, 11, 12 range, but the fact that a lot of the guys on the defensive side of the ball have, haven't stuck with the program is an issue. And, you know, it, it sort of reared its ugly head. There, I, when you can't adjust to a counter, um, what that suggests, one, is that your coach has some issues. But then the other thing that it suggests is that you have a lot of youth out on the field who can't make an adjustment on the fly. Um, you know, and, and so you end up with something like Diabate after the game, sort of, you know, I'm a soldier. I do what the, I do what the, I do what the, the general tells me. And, uh, you know, obviously not an ideal place to be, but there are reasons for why Florida is where they are. Um, some of those are systemic. Some of those are program oriented, but I do think some of them is the timing and, you know, 
we're going to see a year a year five from Mullen anyway. So what does that mean building into 2022, which was always sort of the thing that we said all off season long, long, right? Is that this would be a rebuilding year. Now I don't think we thought rebuilding meant losing to a team like LSU that was no, you know, about we, ready to fire its coaches. But. Right. And that's what we, that's exactly what we said in the preseason. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, again, if, if you, so you say it's a rebuilding year, you say you're going to lose to Alabama, LSU and Georgia. That was pretty much the prediction. I think for me, at least coming in, you lose to Kentucky, but I think Kentucky's a better team than we thought you lose to LSU, which I think is, is pretty inexcusable at the same time. If you go nine and four and win a bowl game, isn't that kind of what you thought you were going to get coming into the year, maybe a little bit worse. Um, you know, if it's, you not about, found... it's not about record. It's not about record, though. When I when when I, when I look at that, I mean, what does it look like? What does it? I mean, I, I can really care less what I predicted the record to be. What does it look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the day, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about inconsistency now for four or five weeks. Depends <laughs> on the day. The defense is great against Kentucky and is terrible against LSU. The offense looks great against Tennessee and then struggles against LSU in the first half and struggles against Kentucky. There's a significant amount of inconsistency within the program. I think there's even an inconsistency when it comes to bringing in elite recruits. There's inconsistency when it comes to game management. There's inconsistency to um, – adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, especially. Yeah, there's inconsistencies. I'm not saying that everything's everything's uh, peaches and cream here, buddy. But at the same time, I think there are legitimate reasons why you look at the roster and say, hey, I see why this is happening. Now, somebody's responsible for the roster. (laughs) <laughs> but but you can't fix the roster seven you don't games say in. you don't say and you know we i was getting skewered for writing articles about mullen not recruiting well enough before he'd even coached a game and you know now now to then come in and say oh well the roster is not good enough that's why it's like okay yeah we, we've known that so i mean this is one of the things is i'm looking at it and i'm like i guess maybe my expectation my expectations were not playoff and national championship i got all excited right. before the season started you know hey maybe there's hope here maybe we can get there but at the end of the day you even played a clip the other day with uh was it matt wyatt from mm-hmm. uh, Mississippi State, where he's like, this is what you get with Mullen. He's going to play all the old players. He's, you know, he'll have guys who are clearly better and he won't put them in. It's like deja vu all over again. I guess, again, the hope is that he was going to learn from his previous experiences and make there adjustments. You but, yeah. uh, you know, we also know that he's an incredibly <laughs> logo, stubborn guy. Logo and, was supposed to be different, Will. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, look, I, the, is it ideal? Absolutely not. But I'm not going to get all upset about it. I, I understand the realities of the situation, which is that Mullen's going to get, I think, plenty of time to prove that he either is or isn't able to overcome some of the recruiting deficiencies. I think um, he's going to have plenty of time to prove whether he's able to hit on that elite quarterback group who can really transform the program. Um and so the only thing that I'm sort of looking for is the is the change of defensive coordinator that seems mm-hmm. to have been a hallmark of those programs that turn it around. So you do the Clemson example again is a good one where they switched to Brent Venables there after the loss. What was it like seventy to yeah West Virginia or something the West there. Virginia yeah. in the Orange Bowl and they they got rid of their defensive coordinator and all of a sudden the next year they were eleven and two and then I think they went eleven and two and then all of a sudden fourteen and one. And, uh, you know, that's the hope obviously ain't happening this year, not happy with four and three, but it is three, one score losses. And so, you know, those tend to even out over time. I think if you look at Florida's point differential, they should probably be five and two rather than four and three, but five and two wouldn't be good enough for people either. So, um, you know, again, I, I'm not really here to defend Dan Mullen. I think we've done enough to sort of outlay where some of the shortcomings are. I guess I'm just sort of sitting here going, 
yeah, we've known for a while that there are these shortcomings. This isn't new. Um, you know, granted against LSU, it's disappointing that, you know, they can't take advantage of these, of a team like this. that's really down, but you know, you're going to have these sort of hiccups from time to time when you can't just out talent everyone. Yeah. So four and three in the season right now, Will, the uh, deemed as a rebuilding year for by, by many, many didn't want to call it when uh, we had that preseason episode on if expectations could be high in a rebuilding year because they thought this Gator team would be better. They didn't really want to consider that a rebuilding year. And as you can see, um, you know, um, it, it, it can be. Uh, the, the definition of rebuild for this Florida team was replacing an offense, losing so much talent, uh, rebuilding in the different image, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Look, at the, and I said back in the preseason, uh, Alabama's rebuilding too. Uh, and look, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that or maybe don't, don't agree with it. But, you know, they get to rebuild with steel and rebar while, you know, Florida gets to rebuild with lumber. Uh, that's, that's just the best way to put it right now for me. Uh, but you can rebuild and reload at the same time. I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive there. Um, but, you know. Uh, so hold on. I want to go. Happen. I want to go back to that because those okay. are mutually exclusive when you don't recruit at Alabama's level. So okay, you, know, you, yeah, t- okay. you talk about yeah. rebar. Now, they don't need to be mutually exclusive at Florida. But, right. but they need to be mutually exclusive. Um, they are mutually exclusive when you're not recruiting at the Alabama or the Georgia level. You know, the reality is, is that look at look at the recruiting classes. Look at the teams that recruit in that eight to 12 range. It's Auburn, right? Who sits there and every once in a while sort of peeks its head up and maybe beats Alabama, makes it to the SEC championship game. And sometimes even wins the SEC championship. Because And because the SEC is an elite conference, you end up playing for the national championship if that happens. LSU in 2019 catches lightning in a bottle with Joe Burrow, um, which is a different story for Mullen and his recruiting and, and his desire to go after quarterbacks. Um, but, you know, LSU catches lightning in a bottle with, with Joe Burrow and is able to sort of find the, the, the path to a national championship, can overcome Alabama, and, and is able to, to do that, but then has sort of fallen apart since. You look at even teams like Michigan sit in that sort of 8 to 12 range. You see teams like Miami kind of sit in that general range in terms of recruiting. So there are teams that have had a little bit more success than Florida has had thus far under Mullen recruiting in that range. There are teams that have had significantly less success recruiting than Mullen in those ranges, but there are not national championship teams coming from that range. And so I, again, I, I, my expectations for the team are, are, are not there, at least not until they catch that lightning in a bottle, which is the thing that does encourage me about the LSU game is I think we saw it. Right. Or at least we saw the opportunity for it. But that was always the only path to a championship. They weren't going to out scheme people with a game manager at quarterback. And so that is the argument for, you know, I think Emory Jones actually played pretty decently other than the interceptions, which obviously is a big part of it. I think he's played decent. Um, but the reason you ditch him and go to Anthony Richardson is because you need that person to compete based on the talent level that you have in the room. And, and that's just the reality. So when you say that, you know, Alabama's reinforcing with rebar, absolutely. They've got a bunch of rebar, right? And that's not to say that Florida has a bunch of driftwood, but at the same, but at the same time, you know, if you've only got four or five pieces of rebar, you got to really strategically put those things together in order to make sure your structure doesn't fall apart. 
And Will, I almost know. said twigs, and then I kind of rethought it and said lumber. So there we go. You know, that's that's where I was going with that too. <laughs> Again, it's all bad analogies, and and you know I know people are going to be like, "Will stumping for Mullen?" No, absolutely not. I have been critical of his recruiting since the start. Every year I write something that's basically like it's Groundhog Day. It's the exact same recruiting class. He's going to have to hit on an elite quarterback in order to win. And every time people are like, "Ah, he'll outcoach people and all that sort of stuff." And and slowly but surely, I think people are starting to come around to the the idea that when you start looking at who wins year after year after year, it it is those teams that are in the top. And it's interesting when you look at Clemson with Kelly Bryant and you look at Clemson this year, and when they haven't gotten that elite quarterback play. That team has been, I don't want to say pedestrian, but I would say the team with Kelly Bryant was the worst of the four playoff teams when they made it to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they made the change from Bryant to Trevor Lawrence because they knew they needed Trevor Lawrence to, to make it in the championship. Now, the defenses there have been very, very good. Um, at, at the same time, again, I, I think you don't want to rely on being the outlier, but if you're going to recruit in that 8 to 14 range, you're going to have to be an outlier, which has always been the entire case for the criticism on the recruiting front, is that you have to be an outlier. But it's actually, in some respects, as somebody who looks at the numbers, it's a little bit entertaining to see whether Mullen can actually overcome that. just so happens this year, not close, right? The three, the three losses indicate that, at least for this year, it's a problem. But, yeah, it is what it is. All right, so look, I guess you know four and three as we did we discussed here, um, or I, I brought up here, and I guess you know the theme where I was going with this, and I tweeted it out too. You know, Florida isn't losing these games because of a rebuild, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh, this is what the expectation should have been with what was happening." Okay, maybe, but that's not how the games are played out. You know, there's other areas, there's other issues I'm looking at before I say Florida lost to Alabama, before I say Florida lost to Kentucky. Before I say Florida lost to LSU because it's a rebuild year. Uh, Alabama once again a game where defense can't get out to a good start once again. Uh, and later in the game can't get any kind of clutch stop uh, when the when the game's on the line uh, after after the after the valiant comeback. You had that one good quarter, which couldn't continue it. Uh, Kentucky, look, I'm blaming 15 penalties, eight of them being false starts with no adjustments or whatever little adjustment there was not being made. Uh, you know. Is that is that because the the team is rebuilding? I, that's not how I'm that's not how I'm defining it. There, uh, you know, were there warts in that game because of a rebuild? Yeah, not the reason Florida lost the game, uh, but you know, in, in aspects of Will, and that's where I'm going to go. In aspects of this program that should be able to be counted on, nowhere to be found. LSU lost going in this one to rebuilt Florida offense, still scored 42 points. While throwing four interceptions, that to blame for a loss? Yeah, some ways. Not for me. Overall, about defensive coordinator, of course, we I'll hash it over again. And a defensive coordinator that can't stop one play, running over and over again. You know, it's the, uh, I'm gonna go blame a, blame the rebuild we thought this was on uh, on on the LSU loss. I don't think so. Fire them all. Straight. <laughs> I mean, at, at the end of the day, like, <laughs> but here's the thing. Well, I mean, those three losses, what game management, clock management, has that shown up? I mean, that's what we were supposed to be able to count on personnel decisions, mainly at quarterback attention to detail on, on you know, especially on special, uh, special teams, the whole, you know, you, you mentioned earlier where the, the inconsistency, well, we've also brought up what lack of focus, lack of aggression, lack of preparation, all these things I'm putting above, a rebuild yeah i mean let's let's go bring jim mcelwain back 
know, I, I mean, look, I, I, I honestly don't know what to say because I'm sitting. It's which is rare for me, but I, I, I don't know what to say because they're three one score losses. None of them really have any excuses. The team is has obviously been inconsistent, been listless. They kept the defensive coordinator last year that they shouldn't have. Um, they're keeping a defensive coordinator now. It appears that they shouldn't. Um, you know, yeah, I think changes should be made. I think that's pretty obvious to anybody who's watching. I think they've likely have played the wrong quarterback over the course of this year. Um, I think but, I'm just you know, I'm just trying to you know look and get to a point where we're at four and three in a season. And look, I know you and I. Look, we nobody's banged the drum harder than us about recruiting, and ultimately where it has landed Florida. But I'm not going to sit here and say that's the 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 that paired can be paired with the word rebuild, of course, because you're talking about talent lost and then who you're replacing that talent with. Now, granted, I think that's the overall problem, but I'm not going to sit here and say that the three losses are because of the rebuild. I mean, uh, you know, and I guess I'll go back early. It doesn't matter what kind of record I put on Florida coming into this season that, you know, I, I did expect them to take a step back. Uh, are, you know, and are those, are some of those reasons that I picked Florida to take a step back showing up? Yeah, of course they are, but, I thought there was going to be some growing pains uh, with, with the changes on offense, but for the things I, the things I was counting on, that this team could you know go into a game when, as you said, kind of with them like, go go scheme a game up uh, and, and and go win the ball game. Uh, we you you, made, you you brought up margin for error, and I thought that Dan Mullen was going to be able to coach his way around it for the most part. But here we are, in, in his fourth year, his fourth year quarterback not looking the part, slow to transition to the next guy. Um, deciding to keep around the defensive coordinator. It's coming off an historically bad season, and we're getting these results. So, you know, while I did expect the offense to take a step back, and that's part of the reason here, I mean, uh, I didn't expect it to look like this, I guess, is is my point, while Florida's sitting at four and three. I expected the rebuild to be the main reason for a step back against this schedule, not, not, not the issues that we're actually seeing. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I – I, again, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm grasping <laughs> at it, right? Because I, I mean, look, I'm as disappointed as you are that they're four and three. I, I just, I don't. So the bubble has burst, and really sort of burst in the Kentucky game for me, in terms yeah. of the ability to out scheme the opposition. Because Mullen got thoroughly out coached in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you got to sort of take a step back and say, okay, well, what do you do? And if the answer is fire Dan Mullen, then fine, make the change, right? I don't know that that gets you where you want to go unless you have an alternative out there who's better. Maybe that maybe that person exists. Okay, we can talk about that. But at the end of the day, I, I think the uh, what we have seen, and I actually think LSU might be about to experience this. What we have seen is that it is not. Florida has been in an incredibly unique situation in that they got two of the best coaches to ever do it since 1990, right? And you look at some of the other programs in the SEC, some of the other programs in the country, and they have not gotten that kind of transcendent performance at coach. And I think in some cases they have wound up with very similar results to what Florida is experiencing right now, which is that you have hope, you have teams that you think are going to be really good, but they don't necessarily perform. Obviously, Alabama is very different in terms of their ability to perform with Nick Saban. But again, they have a transcendent coach. Is that guy out there? Can you bring him in? Who is that guy? Can you identify him? Uh, you know, it, it, 
if Urban Meyer had gone to Notre Dame, what what would Florida's program look like? Would it be Spurrier, and then you'd have Zook, mm-hmm. and then you'd have some other replacement, and then you'd have Muschamp, and then you'd have McElwain, and then you'd have Mullen. Look, I get it. Two national championships for one there under Urban Meyer. But if Meyer had decided to go someplace else, what does the program look like? Do you have that same expectation based on that? Um, now, look, Mullen has done himself no favors. He's obviously talked up the Gator standard, talked up relentless effort, talked up uh, you know the the idea that he's going to thumb wrestle anybody who comes anywhere near him, and then he's sort of been a much more work life balance type person when. Uh, when it's come to different things, you know, not really understanding the idea that you can't put out video of you wakeboarding when, when, you know, Kirby's out there recruiting, it just doesn't work with the, with the fan base and with the deficiencies and the recruiting and those sorts of things. But other than tone, I'm sitting there going, okay, yes, there might be other options out there that are better. The question then you have to ask, and I think this is the, really the question is, do you get, if you have decided that Dan Mullen is not the coach who can win a championship at Florida, then do you get more out of letting him go and trying again with the next guy mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, we'd be better off getting an unknown in than the known quantity. Or are you better off waiting until you find that known quantity or when you have a feeling that that maybe it's an unknown, you know, coordinator or something like that. And you can bring that person in. Um, now, I'm really interested to see what happens at LSU because Orgeron was recruiting at a really high level. There's obviously some off the field stuff that's going on there as well. Um, and he certainly is not sort of the PR um, dream for, for, for a program with, with uh, you know, the go Tigers and all that sort of stuff. But I'm really interested to see whether they're going to be able to fill that with somebody who recruits at the same level he does, because they're going to find somebody who recruits against Saban, who recruits against Kirby Smart in that in that general region and is able to bring those guys into Baton Rouge. Maybe they find that guy. Maybe Joe Brady comes in and all of a sudden that program is explosive and we're sitting there going, oh, Florida could have hired him. Um, I'm, I just don't think it's that easy. I think transcendent coaches are very difficult to find. We've happened to have two of them, which means we're really fortunate in that respect. But, um, you know, is that guy available? Are you willing to pay for him? And, and is he available now are all sort of relevant questions when you start thinking about what are you doing with the head coach? Yeah, there, there's a, there is a timeline to this that is kind of weird. Like, okay, you're going to bring in a new – a brand-new whole staff for maybe Anthony Richardson's only full season at Florida next year? Is that – you know, if uh, that's where I said the earlier, I think the immediate future is probably better with that mother. Because, uh, I mean, granted, you've seen first year coaches come in and have success there, but I don't know if you've had first year coaches come in and have that success uh, right away, that kind of success. I mean, that, they'd be pretty hard pressed to find. I think, you know, Florida's best chance is, of course, get a brand new DC. Ride with that DC and and Mullen next year with AR leading the charge, and you take your chances there. You know, kind of going to your transcendent argument or transcendent quarterback argument there. Will, um, I mean, that's that's the that's the immediate path for success uh, there for for, for Florida. Uh, so if you want to look at it that way, I think you know, the, as far as timing goes, uh, that goes with it. Now, I've also been historically you you don't. Uh, you don't keep coaches for players. You don't keep coaches for recruits. If a, if a move, if you think a move, uh, going to your point, if you think a move should be made, then okay, then make it. But I'm I'm, I'm just going that uh, another way of looking at it for the timing aspect. You know that may it may not be the best for Florida in the immediate future here. Well, a lot of it stems from too. I mean, the LSU lame duck head coach negotiating a buyout, preparing for Florida, uh, has his team ready, and you know, not a good look there. Um, so you know. 
Look, yeah, Florida's not as good as I thought they'd be. That much is obvious. Uh, but it's the reasons why for me uh, that's frustrating. You know, the aspects of Mullen being a head coach that you could count on giving him an advantage, not showing up enough uh, this season. The decision to keep Todd Grantham around that's, you know, now playing into, you know, it's always been there for teams you can't beat. And, you know, that you're with, with the talent level, whether it be equal, whether it be more. We never felt good about Grantham in that scenario, but now that's kind of just transitioning into teams that, you know, dating back to last year, teams and, and LSU, again, teams that you should beat, um, you know, give us some circumstances there of what was going on there. And I know talent level uh, is is better or equal there, but not with what LSU was facing and putting on the field uh, the last two times you've played them. So I think, you know, looking at Grantham and in, in, in D.C. and now the, the issues that just keep piling up, whether it be, okay, well, First, it's good quarterbacks. Now it's just un- inexcusable losses there. Uh, give, go, I mean, go look at the score sheet of games Florida has lost in 2020 and 2021. And maybe Kentucky is the only one you're going to sit there and say, okay, well, defense did their job there. Look, we've known the move should have been made. It's just getting pounded on even more this year out there uh, with Todd Grantham. But I guess we'll – now, you know, kind of big picture, Florida sits at four, three, uh, four and three. Everybody kind of starts zooming out and looking at Dan Mullen's tenure. Big, re- big results are now going to be lacking in year four. You got year four now. Big results, big wins are lacking. Upsets are lacking. Uh, now, look, they're called upsets for a reason. <laughs> but, uh, you know, was the last game Dan Mullen wasn't really supposed to win? And, he, and Florida come out on top? Uh, and you have a great chance in two weeks. Hopefully that one happens. Uh, but there hasn't been that that type of win here. Uh, most point to close losses versus Alabama as anything close to that. Uh, but, I mean, the solid stat today, looking around at it, 4-9 for Florida versus end-of-season top 25 teams in Dan Mullen's tenure. Yeah, same story we had at Mississippi State, right? I mean, yep. here's the reality is, is that you are what your record is, and that's not good enough at Florida. Um, but I think the, the big thing is is that – at least from everything that I'm hearing, it doesn't matter, right? Like I'm not the one who gets to make the decision right. and, and, and it, it, it's not going to matter. And so, you know, you look at it and say rest of the season, what do you want to see? I mean, I think I want to see Anthony Richardson play mm-hmm. and be starting quarterback. I think I want to see them make sure that they get all the guy, the young guys on the defense more and more time out there. Um, I think I want to, I would like to see a new defensive coordinator though. That doesn't look like what we'll see. Um, yeah, but you need to the the you thing is you, you mean get, a new D- yeah. <laughs> uh, what's that? You mean a new DC for the rest of this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I I think um you know I, I think there's value to making a change now, particularly after what we heard from Diabate. Um hmm. I'd like to see some of the fire from Mullen, but let's be honest, if Mullen doesn't have the fire, then you know, be who you are and go down <laughs> go down the way you are. But um yeah, I, I guess I'm just more sanguine about it because I don't anticipate that the administration is prepared to make that change at this point, especially not at the head coaching position. And so I look at it and I go, okay, I see the numbers. I understand what has to happen. The reality is what has to happen is the defensive backs and guys like Gervon Dexter, guys like Derek Wingo, guys like Ethan Pouncey have to, guys like Antoine Powell, Prince Lee, Human Milan have to start getting some time because those are going to be the guys who end up, 
bringing this defense back to prominence next year because guys like Zachary Carter are going to be gone. Guys like Tyron Truesdale are going to be gone. Guys like Daquan Newkirk are going to be gone. And so you're going to have to have these guys step in there and support it. Otherwise, you end up with the same situation, which is even if Anthony Richardson turns into just you know a Heisman-winning level-type quarterback, you're Florida 2007, right, where mm-hmm. where you're getting a Heisman or, trophy, and, but and, you're going 9-4 because the defense can't stop anybody. Right, like last year again. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I'm, I I don't have a ton of hope for what the ceiling on the program is. I, I think there's a significant floor. We're going to see that. They're going to end up 8-4 and four at the end of the year, go to a bowl game, and probably beat, beat the tar out of some Big Ten team. Um, you know, but that that's what it is. I don't like it, but I'm not – I'm not in charge and I don't get to make those decisions. It doesn't sound like any decisions are going to be made to make a change. And, you know, until recruiting picks up, this is kind of what I'm going to anticipate. Yeah. I mean, as I said, four and three, many times, um, I guess it's just the the way it has looked and the reasons for the loss. And we can sit here and call it rebuilding year, but I'll go back and say, you know, this says the reason Florida's losing games are not the reason I saw Florida losing games coming in here. Uh, and, and for those three losses and will you brought up the future of course, and then look, yeah, you, we both said, look, it may not sound like it. I said there was going to be some critiques. I don't want Mullen fired. I know. And, and look, you know, I will agree with a lot of people out there saying, you know, he has had plenty of chances to, to get rid of assistant coaches. And I won't disagree with you there. Uh, but he's also never faced as much criticism. It is on fire right now <laughs> and, uh, out there, whether it be text messages, whether it be social media messages, or whatever. I mean, it is, it, it is out there. Um, now I will say he's, you know, too reactionary and he's got he's got a can he change i mean i guess that's one thing i mean can he change will he change and i know a lot of people are going to say no uh with that and you know he's too reactionary no not not out in now not out in front of the problems uh on on a consistent basis um as the you know in in things he should be able to avoid and what we've been discussing you know grantham's the the best example of that should have been going after last season that but now you're kind of in limbo with him right now with a change more than likely uh, coming to replace him after this season, as you said, will great go get a defensive coordinator that for me can come can become your main recruiter. I, I mean, it, it, he needs to be your main recruiter right now on staff. That needs to be your next DC hire. Find the right one. Find find the right guy. Uh, but with even with even even with the right guy, and this is kind of the discussion we've had today. Will um, how long do we have to wait for improvement? And as you kind of go back to your your last point. We, when will enough improvement be? Will it be too late? Will, will, you know, we do you waste ARs year next year waiting on a defense to to become good again? And it looks like two thousand seven and two thousand and two thousand twenty. I mean, there's a potential Anthony Richardson could lead uh, a, a very special offense in twenty twenty two, an elite offense that's going to be wasted uh, on, on rebuilding a defense. And look, that is no reason to be keeping Todd Grantham. I'm just bringing up a scenario that. Because of waiting too long to get rid of Grantham, the chain reaction could hurt next season with the necessary change. So uh, there's no, no, no easy way to look at it, no easy answer there of what happened with Grantham and maybe the chain reaction of it could, it could waste 2022 as well. But you have to make the move. The funny thing is, is that you said he's been too reactionary, and that's like the exact opposite of how I described Dan Mullen. I described Dan Mullen as being too stubborn, 
right? That that okay. his stubbornness has always been the thing that sort of stuck out with me. Whether it was you yeah, know, probably sort a better of, way to put it. Sort of pumping up the fans for that initial spring game and like this is going to be really high flying football, and then it was sort of a joke. Or I guess, you know, oh no, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm going to say he's going to be reactionary because he's going to make the, the move is going to be made. This is Todd Grantham's last year defensive coordinator, so I guess that's where I was going. It's going to be reactionary more so than him getting out in front of. Him. Yeah, well, and that's been one of the criticisms, right? Is that you know, does he have the um, does he have the desire to make the changes that are necessary in order to bring the program to the place where the fans expect it to be? Um, you know, I, I think um, the idea that it's going to be too late. I mean, we've seen guys come in at defensive coordinator oh, yeah, yeah. who are high level defensive coordinators and turn things around right away, right? I mean, it was just a scenario I'm bringing just, up that because you waited too. If you had made the move next year, then your new DC's here next year. Whatever warts you would have had, you could have worked out in 2021 along with the rebuilding of the offense. And if the offense plays out the same way and it kind of plays out, if Richardson takes over halfway through the season like he did last year, goes on to play really well, and then you have a coordinator in his second season being able to play with his defense. Now you're just kind of wondering if a first-year defensive coordinator will be enough next year. Sure. I mean, obviously they decided to make changes at the end of last year. We were both critical of that, just making the changes at the defensive back coach um, areas as opposed to making the change wholesale. And, and so, yeah, I think it's legitimate to go back and question that decision-making point. At this point, you know, if you get a new defensive coordinator or you, you know, you think about when new head coaches come in, right? They come in essentially right after the bowl or right before the bowl games, after the last game of the year. And they sort of sit there in observational mode as an interim sort of, you know, leads mm. things. Right. And then they go out on the recruiting trail, they bring in the first, the first class. And then that's sort of how they start building things. If you look at Mullen, he was able to turn around Florida's offense completely from 2017 and really 2015, 16 and 17 to 2018. And so I don't think there's any question about his offensive bona fides. Right. And so that's what you have to find on the defensive side of the ball is this really yeah. is sort of a siloed, thing where he's going to take care of the offense and he's going to have to find somebody who could take care of the defense. I do wonder whether that what that's why he likes Grantham because Grantham at least is willing to do that and, and sort of serve in that capacity and, and silo off. Now he hasn't obviously been all that good at it the last couple of years, but at the same time um, you know, maybe that's why he likes that. So if you can find somebody who, and here's the thing, right? Is that if you come in next year as Florida's defensive coordinator and turn them around, you are the Joe Brady there you go. Um, you read my mind. Florida, right? So That's Joe where Brady I was going comes next. in, turns LSU around, and all of a sudden he's the hottest commodity in the world and goes off to the Carolina Panthers. You come in and turn this defense around, and all of a sudden you are one of the hottest commodities in college football, and and it's a real stepping stone. So I think there are some people who are sitting there, and I, I'm not sure that happens if you do it this year. Right. If you get rid of Grantham last year, you bring in a defensive coordinator. He turns the defense around. Let's say Florida was like five and two now, um, you know, and hey, the defense is playing really well. But we still lost a couple of close ones and because we still lose that Kentucky game, even if even if the defense plays yeah, really well. Yeah. Right. Because right, I mean, uh, you can point to, as I said, if you, if you look at like the score sheet, that's about the only one you can point to where you're not going to pinpoint Grantham's performance. Yeah. So, you know, what's the record? Maybe it's a lot better, but I don't think that person is the type of commodity coming out of like, I think it actually would have been a less appealing job maybe coming into this season than it would have been coming than it would be coming into the next season just because of what it means for your career. Right. You come in here. If the defense gets marginally better, you're like, well, I didn't have the right tools to, to run an elite defense. If you come in, the defense becomes elite. Now, all of a sudden you're a hot commodity everywhere else. I think it's actually a pretty attractive gig. And, you know, from the standpoint of like, 
you're going to get a lot of credit if recruiting upticks and all those other things that come along with that, because we all know where Mullen struggles. And so if a DC comes in and is able to shore up some of those gaps, then obviously that gives you um, a real feather in your cap there. Not a perfect scenario. I mean, we'd all like to have Nick Saban. We'd all in, in some respects like to have Kirby smart though. I still think there's stuff to prove for smart, even though Georgia looks invincible right now. Um, but at the same time, um, how many of those guys are out there? If, if the guy is out there, then yeah, I think you go out and get him. Right. But you know, if he's not, if you've, maybe you've even targeted the guy that you want at defensive coordinator, you can bring him in and, uh, and, and, and get that started maybe right at, right before the bowl season, that sort of stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, end of the day, this guy gets paid an awful lot of money to make those decisions. And from everything I know, he's got the full support of the administration in, in terms of at least having one more year to turn around. Now the seats could get really hot next year if things don't turn around, but oh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of fair, right? Like he's got his, his ostensibly he has his quarterback now and he's going to be able to make a change at defensive coordinator. He's going to have next year to prove it. And if he doesn't, then I think we'll all be sitting here saying that's been adequate. You've had an opportunity. You've had, you know, five years to take this program to a place where we want it to be. Thank you. You've given us a high seat or a high floor program, but we're interested in high ceiling and we're going to make a change. And I think that's probably what we'll end up seeing if things don't work out in 2022. Well, and part of that change, of course, is going to have to be Dan Mullen, some of the changes he makes as well. But look, for right now, this is, I mean, this is going to have to be university and, and program too. Uh, you know, recruiting program approach must happen. Uh, it comes from the top down uh, administration, UAA, Strickland, Mullen. Everyone's got to be on the same page moving forward. Uh, total buy-in. Uh, what Mullen wants, Dan Mullen should get. Uh, and if that's not the approach from him, then and, and and everyone else involved in everything we're discussing is for nothing anyway. So you know we we've discussed recruiting budgets compared to other schools. You know Dan, Dan Mullen doesn't set the recruiting budget uh, when, when you look at it that way. Uh, and um, you know so that there, there's there's some things higher up that need to be taken care of too. If, you know if Florida wants to be seen as taking football as serious as other schools, then we have to see it because it's not there on, right now. They're not there on the same page. At every level right now, when you go look at LSU, when you go look at Georgia and Alabama, their approach, it's, it's just different. You know, it's just different. And and if it's not there, then you got to just hope we get lucky. And believe me, as we just said, hope is not what you really want to kind of be uh, relying on right now. But will to me that, that that does bring up. I wanted to quickly bring up you know the Saturday Down South article, Matt Hayes. Uh, basically, basically calling out as Mullen is overrated. Uh, but he goes on to say, a great football mind, a quarterback guru, the best player caller in college football, uh, a coach the NFL wants is all has all been descriptions uh, of Dan Mullen. And he goes on to debunk most of those descriptions about Mullen based on recent history. But he also had this quote from a Power Five AD, and basically backs up what we've kind of been saying here. But there's there's so much that goes into hiring a coach, but at the top of the list is can you recruit and can you win games that matter? A power five AD told Matt Hayes that on uh, yesterday on Sunday, quote, I'm not sure what any of the other stuff means. So a great football mind, a quarterback guru, best play caller in college football to a power five AD. That doesn't, that means nothing. If you can't recruit and if you can't win the games, you, if you can't win your big games. Uh, so look, We've harped on recruiting enough, beating a dead horse. It has to get better. Main reason for results right now, probably not. It is up there, though, uh, as I'm saying, uh, in, in the way I just kind of have dissected this season right now. 
but it certainly could help mask those issues that I brought up. So um, for the future, Will, uh, the part of the article came up too. The argument isn't necessarily against Mullen as a successful head coach. It's against Mullen as one of the top 10 coaches in college football. And a coach should continue, and a coach Florida should continue throwing millions at. Well, if things don't change and it won't work out, it'll take care of itself. But why should it have to come to that? I think is the set, you know, reason, the, the question we can ask. Mullen needs to show he wants to be here with the necessary changes. And you can disagree and just say we should blindly trust Dan Mullen and his choices, but we're past that point. His approach uh, at being head coach at Florida must include some changes from him. If he's going to be successful, the best ones adapt, the best ones change, the best ones recruit. Yeah. Soapbox okay. moment done. You, you make a really <laughs> good point about a lot of that stuff. I think you make a really good point, too, about the administration. I was thinking about this the other day, which is that if you think about the size of the SEC television contract, and you think about like ticket sales and booster support and merchandise and all that sort of stuff. If you run out a bunch of nine and three seasons, do you make as much money as you do chasing um, championships like you do at Georgia or Alabama or all that sort of stuff? I mean, if you spend an extra two or three million bucks a year on recruiting, if you spend an extra two or three million dollars on your head coach, if you spend extra money on staff, if you spend extra money on support staff, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, obviously Florida has elite, um, athletic programs all the way through. If you sacrifice some of that, um, you know, th there are choices that you, that they're making. Now, I don't know whether you'd say they're legitimate choices because the athletic department turns a profit, even after they spend all the money on the, on the athletics. Usually when I did, when I looked at it a while back, it was like 30 or 40 million bucks a year that they clear at the end of the, at the end of the day. But if you think about where the money comes from these days, it comes from being a member of the SEC, not being the Florida Gators. I would say a decade ago, maybe 20 years ago, it came from being the Florida Gators, came from ticket sales, came from seat licenses, came from boosters, that sort of stuff. Nowadays, the vast majority of the money, I'm assuming, is probably coming from TV deals. And I do think yeah. that probably impacts how you, how you look at things if you're looking at things purely from a dollar and cents perspective, right? We've all either experienced or seen businesses that do things that are not necessarily in the best interest of the organization because it makes sense financially. I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but I'm saying that is something to think about when you start thinking about why is Georgia spending significantly more money on recruiting than Florida is. You, you said it yourself. Mullen doesn't set that budget. I think he can do better. I think there are things he can do better. I think that um, there are obviously changes that he is going to need to make. I think that the noise around the program is is going to be problematic in some respects. And so, um, you know, he might even be forced to make those changes, even if he doesn't want to do it. At the same time, um, I don't expect a full scale change in terms of the way Mullen operates. I think he fully expects that he'll have next year to prove that he is all the things that Matt Hayes says that he's not right. That when you get in the right quarterback, when you get him the defense that can perform, when you, when all the stars align, all of a sudden, all that stuff becomes, um, you know, it's just noise and, and he's going to get the opportunity to prove it and we'll see what happens again. I think if you, at least I hope that would be motivation. Well, I mean, again, I, I think, you know, some of the stuff that that from an attitude perspective, especially when he's answered questions after some of these losses has been disappointing. I think obviously Hayes sort of rehashed all of the different stuff with the Darth Gator and, and the probation and all that other stuff that sort of um, ha has come out and I'm sure has some people up in arms. 
Same time, I, look, I, I think the program is healthier than it was in year four under Will Muschamp. It's healthier than it was in yeah. year three under Jim McElwain. It's not good enough. It's not really the Gator standard, but um, at the same time, you know, it, it is healthier. So I, I just sort of look at it and say, not everything is terrible, but not everything is great. Right now, you're sort of an average football program. You got to decide whether average is good enough. And um, I know there's obviously a large, loud segment of the fan base that average is never going to be good enough and is going to want to make a change. The question, if you're an administrator, is do you believe Dan Mullen can get you to a place where you're more than an average football program um, and really an elite? But does football the admin program? does the admin care more than that? As you said, you know. just brought up the SEC money. I mean, they can be completely content with that. Sure. And we'll see. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the the proof will be in the spending. Right. That at the end of the day, if you go out and get a defensive coordinator that costs you three million bucks a year and you sign him to a four year guaranteed guaranteed deal. That way, even if you get rid of Mullen after 2022, you still owe the guy the 12 million bucks, whatever, (laughs) then you're starting to put your money where your mouth is. Right. If the recruiting budget grows to two, two point two million bucks instead of being in a million and a half where where it was, I guess, like in 2019 when I saw the last last numbers, then, hey, you're putting your money where your mouth is and, and more power to you. Now there's no excuse for any of those sorts of things. And, you know, we heard this with McElwain that the recruiting was, you know, just wait till he shows it on the field and, you know, wait till he gets the facilities and that McElwain wasn't real happy with the facilities and alienated a bunch of people inside the program. Sounds like we're hearing a lot of the same things when it comes to Dan Mullen, you know, the wait until he proves it on the field crowd um, has gone away now after, after yeah. three years of the recruiting basically being ground. Well, they just shift until wait till we beat Georgia. Okay. We did that last year. That didn't, uh, that didn't translate either. Yeah. So again, I mean, you, you are what you are, right? From a recruiting rankings perspective, you are what you are from a transfer portal perspective. You are what you are from a record perspective and you're four and three right now. And that stinks. Um, but you know, whether or not a change is made at, at the head coaching position, I don't think is even really a, a relevant question based on based on sort of what I think people are going to give him. And to be honest, what's fair in terms of we always knew he was going to have to find a quarterback. He found Trask, kind of gave us an extra year. And now I think if he finds Richardson, we're going to see what he can do. Is that going to be good enough? I don't know, but we will know next year. And so you'll be able to make a clear decision at the end of 2022, rather than a decision, like you said, where you're sitting there going, well, you bring in a new guy. Now he's got to deal with, you know, Richardson, does he leave? Does he transfer? Um, You know, what happens and and how does that work? Now, if he's lost the locker room, then I think that's a little bit different story. That's something I I have like no feel for whatsoever, right? right? Being up here in Philadelphia. If there are issues internally in terms of like, players and losing the locker room and those sorts of things, then that's a very different thing. And that actually does sound like what was going on at LSU is that Orgeron at least had done some things to alienate his players and the players didn't necessarily want to play for him, which is one of the reasons why they've had some of the inconsistencies along with, along with the injuries over the last couple of years. If that's the case, then yeah, I think you make a change because you have to, right? Because you've lost the locker room, but if he still has the locker room, if he's still got the belief of his players, um, I, look, he's going to get next year, whether I want him to or not. So let's, let's look at it. Let's, let's analyze it and let's use the rest of 2021 to prepare for that. All right. There we go. Will Miles, what you got coming up this week, bye week, uh, anything, anything different, anything special? Um, there'll be a couple of things I got in the works. Um, I'm actually, if you saw the coach who, uh, 
who got fired today for not taking the vaccine. I might have something up about that. Oh, yeah. um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's sort of, you can take stock at mid season. And so I think there will be some stuff taking stock of where the program or where the, where the team is this year. And then obviously some stuff with the program as well. All right. That's Will Miles. Find his work at readreaction.com, Read reaction on YouTube, on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.